You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today, we're talking about Burning Man, which originally aired September 30th, 2005, was directed by Peter Lauer and written by Michael Globerman. Our buddy. Hi, I'm Jake, and this podcast is about the empty banality of the suburban dad. And I'm David, and this burning person sounds like he's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm Eric, and this podcast is as vicious as it is funny. Uh, thank you. What a ringing endorsement. <laughs> we try. <laughs> uh, well, before we start getting into this episode, Eric, why don't you let people know where they can find more of your lovely voice? Oh, thank you. I don't know how lovely it is, but yes, uh, I am from File Under Entertainment Podcast, which is the... Well, music show this season that has uh, featured Jake and David several times. And uh, yeah, our shtick is we go in alphabetical order covering between two or more artists and, you know, several songs, five and six songs or more a piece. Uh, and then we, yeah, talk about them and rank them and play fun games. And I also am the co-host of the Evil Mark show, the typically NCAA uh, college football edition on Thursdays, but now we're in between sports uh, or in between seasons. So we're covering all sports. So yeah, doing the whole thing. So you can find me over there too. And I, I think we have once again done the thing. We're very unintentionally, this will be coming out right before or right after I'm on your show, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It always tends to happen that way, yeah. That's planned, Jake. It's called marketing. Gah. You did it on purpose. Synchronicity. Yeah, absolutely. Our coordinated crossover <laughs> event. <laughs> Listen, we still do it better than DC. <laughs> I mean... Who doesn't? But uh, we're just prolific podcasters. I think that's uh, we're just constantly doing shows so that it, there's bound to be some overlap sometimes. That's fair. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> but before we get into this week's episode, we have our community segment. Which, as usual, is going to start with a reminder that we have a Patreon, which is where you can support us directly and gain access to our secret podcast, Uncaged. We also have a email relating to uh, the old monkey versus squid versus kangaroo knife fight. Oh my god. Which <laughs> apparently we will never move on from. <laughs> We're in a whole new season. It <laughs> doesn't matter, David. They followed us. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, jeez. We have a uh, late entry in uh, a uh, vote for this. Is Erica emailed in a vote uh, as they missed the uh, initial poll and wanted it to be known that they are the lone vote for the kangaroo. <laughs> Uh, she also sent a uh, TikTok of a guy talking about how dangerous kangaroos are. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it is. Then we also have some poll results looking back on the season finale, Mrs. Tri-County, in which we agreed that Dewey was the least shitty kid 
for, uh, you know, buckling down and helping Lois. And the audience agreed with us. Dewey won with 83% of the vote, with the remainder going to Francis, who was not in the episode. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Well, speaking of which, (laughs) in the perfect ending for our community polls for this season. Uh Uh-huh. For shittiest kid, we both chose Reese for being misogynistic and vain and abandoning his family. And the internet disagreed with us with the overwhelming majority, 83%, voting for Francis for shittiest kid in an episode he did not appear in. Wow. And we have a couple of replies on that uh, particular poll. The first one is just Luke saying, I didn't think anyone was that shitty this episode, to be honest. Which, uh, I mean, to be fair with, uh, you know, by Wilkerson standards, I kind of agree. Like, Reese has some pretty shitty comments, but doesn't do anything that awful. Which, uh, you know, for this show is fairly non-shitty. Right. And, uh, the Lost Crow Boy (laughs) says, Francis, he didn't even show up to support Lois in the Mrs. Tri-County pageant. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Then, a minute later, he has a reply to his reply saying, Oh crap, I was kidding, but I accident- accidentally did vote for Francis. I meant to put Reese, LOL. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. It is. I love it. Oh, man. Uh. Which I Jeez. thought was a very funny... And very fitting thing to happen for this last bowl. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> but uh, that wraps up this community segment. So let's get into this week's episode. Which this one uh, starts with a Lois and Reese centric cold open. Uh, as Lois is pulling out a pan full of chocolate chip cookies, and uh, Reese walks over and starts to take one, but Lois stops him, saying that she hid Dewey's antibiotics in that one. (laughs) And she gives him another one, saying, "Uh, take this one, it's the biggest. And Reese starts to take a bite, then has a look of realization, and asks, you didn't put anything in this one, did you? And when uh, Lois says, no, of course not, just take it. Uh, he, like, starts eating, and then she, like, holds another one up and says, And take this one in about 20 minutes. <laughs> As Reese obliviously thanks her and continues to eat his clearly drugged cookie. <laughs> and getting into the episode proper, uh, this one is arranged a little bit atypically for Malcolm in the Middle. It sort of has a common starting point, then all of the characters branch out and sort of have their own subplot before coming back together. For the conclusion of the episode. Yeah, it was difficult to try to figure out how that was going to be structured. I figured, well, I had a, I think I, all the way through a D plot, but then some of them, like the C and D plot, are only like a couple of scenes that were they're really separated. So I didn't know like how that was going to be structured. So I was just like, I'm glad Jake's the one in charge of this. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, I, I separated them out, giving each character, with the exception of Jamie, their own plotline. But uh, as Eric said, some of those are going to be, like, two scenes. <laughs> Correct. But they do all start together. We'll be guessing what David named these once they sort of start splintering off. Uh, unless David has, like, some sort of big plot name and then separate plot names. No. Okay. I nope. didn't think so, but... No, are you kidding me? It's hard enough to come up, come up with a name for every single one of these. Okay. Uh, oh, I almost forgot, actually, before we get into this. Uh, Eric, why did you choose this as one of the episodes you wanted to come in for? Well, I feel like the premieres tend to be, like, kind of stronger episodes. Uh, it's, like, a, a good showing. I know that this one is controversial, and for good reason, but I feel like it's uh, got some f very funny moments. I think it's one of the better examples of uh, the show really branching out. It's like, I mean, most of the, the plot lines kind of take place in the Wilkerson home. And so for the show to like start out at a completely different, I, I mean, I, obviously there was some of the ones at the grotto and there's like the water park. I mean, there's been other episodes that have taken place outside of the home, but for the most part, it kind of centers around the Wilkerson household. And so for this one to be all of the family kind of together with the exception of Francis, uh, but at a completely different venue where none of their, they're not in their element, and it's blatantly obvious. And yet they still have uh, uh, they still definitely put their stamp on everything and everyone that they encounter. So uh, I just, uh, for all the problematic stuff, I think it's a great episode. Like, I think this was would be one, that, like, I wouldn't go so far as to say, like, if you were going to try to introduce this show to someone that had never seen it before, like, hey, this would be a good episode to start with. But for someone that, like, maybe was kind of on the fence, I'd be like, if you've watched several episodes or maybe you've watched a season worth maybe like okay well if that hadn't hooked you then maybe this episode and all this weird shenanigan stuff and especially like how uh, in this episode uh, i think this would be like maybe this would hook you i, I don't know i i like it i know a lot of people kind of have a lot of problems with it and can't get past one of one major thing with it, and so they like kind of like take the whole episode down as a whole. But I'm mean, like, that's not really fair because the episode's pretty great, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is definitely that one plot point that's a sticking point for a lot of people, and understandably so. But we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, so starting things off, we start in the Wilkerson house where Reese and Malcolm are talking about how this year they're totally gonna go. And they are talking about going to Burning Man. Which Dewey walks in and when he hears what they're talking about, he says, uh, this again? <laughs> you guys say this every year and then you always check it out. And he says that their excuse last year was a really bad slurpy headache. <laughs> and Reese confronts Dewey saying that uh, he just doesn't understand what Burning Man is all about. It's about a week of freedom in the desert and naked women and getting back to your primal nature and naked women and art and naked women. <laughs> <laughs> and Dewey says, do you think all the women there are naked? And Reese punches him and says, I bet that's all you heard. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> then uh, we 
see Malcolm in the bathroom, like, unraveling the roll of toilet paper next to the toilet and counting sheets as <laughs> he is calculating out, like, for the individual family members for each meal, how many sheets of toilet paper they use. <laughs> Which is a disturbing realization when you start thinking about how much attention that means he's paying to their toilet paper consumption. <laughs> exactly. Like, there's definitely been this kind of the same math going on at other points in time to, to know the count. <laughs> yeah. Fair. <laughs> and he has to factor in. Uh, the, we know that Hal splits his two-ply toilet paper in half to save money, so. <laughs> <sighs> I forgot about th- Oh, my God. Uh... <laughs> Gross. Yeah. A lot of variables in this <laughs> equation he's doing. <laughs> Listen, it's a good thing he's good at math. <laughs> then he writes, like, on the roll in Sharpie, we went to Burning Man, be back on Monday. <laughs> and he starts, like, rolling it back up, saying, that should get us through uh, till tomorrow. <laughs> then... We immediately cut to this plan falling apart as both Reese and Malcolm are being dragged back into the house by Hal and Lois, who are yelling at them for hitchhiking, <laughs> uh, telling them how stupid it was. And Hal says if Lois hadn't undercooked the chicken last night, who knows how long it would have taken us to figure out where you were. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Such a Wilkerson thing to have happen. <laughs> and uh, Lois calls Burning Man a glorified cake party in the desert, which Malcolm take is- takes issue with as he goes into this whole spiel about what Burning Man really is, about how it gives people a, a chance to create art and make music with instruments made of their dreams. <laughs> I think uh, from their dreams, not of their dreams. That's something like that. <laughs> it's some hippie nonsense, David. <laughs> wow, coming from you, that is wow. Some hippie nonsense. Wait, what is happening this season? Are you becoming the crotchety old man, and I'm becoming the cool one? Like, I mean, you did go through that rebirth ritual. So. God damn it! I hate you so much. <laughs> Oh, man, I really wish we'd have been recording our conversation <laughs> before coming down here. But this, uh, like, pep talk that Malcolm tries to give ends up working too well. <laughs> As he turns to camera and says, I think she's actually buying it. And it hard cuts to the entire family in an RV on their way to Burning Man. Which is where David's opening line comes from, as Lois is excited about this burning person thing. It sounds like fun. It is a very mom-like saying, just slightly the wrong thing. Uh-huh. It's the, it's the all video games being Nintendo syndrome. Dude, Megan still oh. says that now. Like, I've been playing video games. <laughs> Our entire relationship, and she still says, are you going to play Nintendo? And I'm like, babe, it's not Nintendo. She's like, I know, but everything's Nintendo. (laughs) Yeah, Eric's not cool enough to play Nintendo. Wow. (laughs) I'm kidding. I was just saying it for Jake's sake. 
he's literally a corporate shill for Nintendo. So <laughs> that's crazy talk. I'm not a shell for Nintendo, the greatest video game corporation in all of history. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> he says with a, a Pokemon flag in the background. <laughs> 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 and while wearing a Mario Kart shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there are plenty of other perfectly fine second-rate consoles out there besides Nintendo. <laughs> Getting back to the episode. Oh yeah, there's one of those. <laughs> uh, of course, Reese and Malcolm are upset that their parents are taking them to Burning Man. Reese is blaming Malcolm, saying, uh, next time, why don't you suggest we take Grandma to Mardi Gras? <laughs> Which did just immediately make me want an Ida at Mardi Gras episode, oh, if I'm being honest. A hundred percent. <laughs> and Malcolm says that he can't help it, that he has these powers he can't control. He wishes he was as stupid as Reese. <laughs> Which Reese takes as a compliment. <laughs> Say, don't try to flatter me now. <laughs> then uh, we get some details on where this RV came from as... Uh, Hal is explaining to Lois how he got it, which is that uh, it was loaned to him by his boss uh, because Hal took the fall for farting in the elevator when the CEO got in. <laughs> then behind him, like, as Hal is, you know, talking about how great this RV is and how great of a trip they're going to have, Dewey opens a bottle of apple juice for Jamie and how, like, here's the bottle opening, and immediately yells out, asking what that was. <laughs> and uh, he demands that Dewey put it back, and when Dewey is, like, starting to argue with him, he uh, asks him what the rule is. <laughs> and Dewey says, this one RV is worth three of me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is horrible, but I like that they made a rhyme scheme about it. It's also ironic because Hal had just got done talking about the full or the large screen TV and like the, what did he say, three quarter or two thirds scale uh, fold out pool table. Like they wouldn't have ruined yep. that. Like he's concerned about spills from apple juice, but they wouldn't have ruined the TV or the pool table. This is like, Hal, you know your family by now. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you would think he does, but I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> then Reese contemplates uh, trying to climb through the air vent at the uh, top of the RV so that he can uh, jump off into the road before they get to Burning Man. <laughs> and when Malcolm, like, questions him on, you know, what he's planning on doing, he says, I know what you're thinking. The Roadrunners are too smart to catch and eat, but I think the Coyotes are just idiots. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh. Malcolm tells him you know maybe it won't be as embarrassing as we think uh, you know maybe people won't even notice and we can sneak away as soon as we get there and no one will know that we're here with our parents <laughs> and of course as he says that they are pulling in to the festival and Hal honks the horn uh, which is like a uh, la cucaracha 
uh, horn, <laughs> drawing everyone's attention to the RV pulling in. <laughs> and uh, as they get out, uh, of course, they're like surrounded by the sort of stereotypical 2000s like rave influenced like weird outfits and uh, there's like a guy and like an egg thing and another guy with his head in a fishbowl and some people that are like dressed like uh bishops in chess <laughs> as they like pull up and lois steps out and very cheerfully greets them and says she's going to do some art too she brought her paint brushes <laughs> <laughs> This is where Thanes starts to split off as Hal steps out and starts asking the boys for help. But as he, like, looks around, Malcolm and Reese are already gone. <laughs> and Dewey informs him that they snuck away under the RV as soon as they got here. <laughs> Which leaves Dewey to help Hal uh, as the other boys go off. And Reese and Malcolm are briefly together. As they, like, split off and are walking through the festival. And Reese sees a guy with, like, a fruit bowl on his head. Riding, like, a banana bicycle thing. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, that's the coolest guy ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Reese. <laughs> uh, Malcolm says, yeah, see, this is gonna be great after all. We just have to stick together. Then uh. Malcolm gets, like, bumped and steps on a cactus. And when he turns to Reese for help, Reese has immediately abandoned him. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> and uh, that fully separates the family. And from there, we will go character by character. Oh, boy, these plot lines. <laughs> and I think we will go with the least substantial so he will start with dewey's okay so eric what do you think david named dewey's portion of the plot line just the sd plot for septic dewey <laughs> okay okay uh, uh <laughs> i mean more than usual <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh boy I'm going to say David named this one the NLDV for National Lampoon's Dewey's Vacation. Uh, that, both of those are fantastic. And maybe would have been the direction I went had this uh, episode not required a specific thematic style of plotline name. You see... <laughs> Because all of the plot lines are inspired by names that I totally ripped off of, you know, performative art pieces. <laughs> okay. So Dewey's plot line is just do it slash desert Nike slash early 2000s so child labor is still okay. <laughs> what the? something that we're laughing so hard at but also also fuck you <laughs> I, I named these and I went they're never gonna guess this but this is awesome no shit. <laughs> do they all include slashes and hyphens uh, no I hope so. because I all I took inspiration from different names because I found a list 
of performative art names, and each one is inspired by a different one. Great. <laughs> uh, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. It's fine. <laughs> what a treat. Wow. Uh, this plot line centers around Dewey being the one kid stuck helping Hal <laughs> as uh, he immediately gets put to work by Hal collecting rocks so that they can form a barrier around the RV. <laughs> it has to have a protective barrier. Civilized people have them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and... Uh, Hal's defense for why Dewey has to do this is the classic, you snooze, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Be faster than your brothers at ditching me. <laughs> <laughs> and Hal sends Dewey, uh, to the turnoff because he saw some rocks back there when Dewey can't initially find any. And Dewey says, that must be half a mile away. And Hal says, uh, don't be ridiculous. It's easily two miles. <laughs> it is important that he learns to correctly guess distance. Fair enough, I suppose. <laughs> then the next time we see Dewey, he is scrubbing the floor of the RV like, on his hands and knees, as uh, the rest of the family, minus Malcolm, is eating breakfast. And uh, when Lois mentions to Hal that they're on vacation, Dewey interrupts, saying, What part of this is vacation? <laughs> uh, is it the uh, six hours I spent uh, putting armor all on the tires? Was it when I was cleaning dead bu bugs out of the grill with a toothbrush? <laughs> yeah, that's called recreation. It's in the Amazon policy. Check it out. <laughs> uh, and of course, his complaints are entirely ignored by everyone present. <laughs> then the last little bit of Dewey we get before the ending where sort of all the plots converge. Uh is Dewey walking with the septic tank in hand, which just says waste on it, and he's complaining about how much better his life would be if he was an orphan or one of those kids raised by animals. <laughs> <laughs> While well, it's actively sloshing up on his shirt and his pants. Yeah, it's <laughs> so gross. Yes. <laughs> poor Dewey. Poor, poor Dewey. <laughs> And that is where we will leave Dewey until the end. So from there, we will go to the other very brief one, the lowest centered plot. <laughs> what do you think David named this one? <laughs> wow. Well, I did think it was TJ and T for traumatized Jamie and trumpets, but now I'm going to have to say it's some something with a hashtag and an asterisk <laughs> and <laughs> some other bullshit. I don't know. Well, I did have an ampersand in mind, so I'll, I'll stick with that. TJ and T. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm gonna go with. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to think. Surely I know the name of a performance art thing, but I don't think I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're. You do know this one, Jake. Uh, this don't is. Tell me that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> you're gonna hate it when you figure when I when you hear it because you're never yeah 
Ah, uh, I love it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what, David? Uh-huh. This is the Nathan for you plot line. It doesn't make sense, but that's a social experiment slash performance art thing, right? I mean, <laughs> technically, yes. Uh, huh? <laughs> no, this is clearly the free the nipple uh, plotline, Jake. Come on. I mean, fair. <laughs> okay, okay. You know what? That one actually tracks. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> But it's uh, sort of follows Lois as she pretty much immediately gets super into the Burning Man spirits <laughs> as uh, she comes back to the RV telling Hal that she just met up with this w group of women uh, and she's very amused by the fact that they called themselves a tribe and... Uh, she says that they met over by the porta potty, which Hal is insulted that she used the porta potty instead of the toilet in the RV. Yeah, that's a state of the art toilet, Jake. It could suck down anything. A small deer. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and Lois says that they invited her to the hemp braiding tent, <laughs> which she is very excited about. It sounds like a hoot and a half. Uh. <laughs> really always have been curious as to how you measure half a hoop then we see lois being given directions to an event uh possibly this hemp braiding thing or something else it's unclear two women are just like giving her directions saying it's by the giant foam tongue make a left at uh the guy in a phone booth full of jello and if you hit the men's diaper brigade you've gone too far <laughs> <laughs> which is fantastic it really is yep <laughs> then uh at the breakfast we mentioned that uh dewey is not eating because he's too busy scrubbing the carpets lois has made green eggs for them which Hal is, like, uh, very confused by asking, why is our food green? To which Lois says, I put some food dye in it. I'm being artsy. <laughs> uh, God. It reminds me of my parents. Make it stop. <laughs> that is fair. Both of our parents did have a period where they were, like, making homemade crafts to sell at crafts fairs. Uh-huh. <laughs> they were not good. Ah. <laughs> we did way better when we were trying to prank people. Like, they needed to stay in their lane. <laughs> the, the stuff, the arts and crafts they made to insult other family members, way better. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> and when Hal, like, uh, complains about being there is he has not embraced the spirit of this place the way Lois has. She tells him to loosen up. We're on vacation. Which is what uh, prompts Dewey's little tirade <laughs> about what a non-vacation he is having. <laughs> when... Uh, the, like, next little bit, the, like, last we get before the conclusion of the episode is, uh, we see Lois and Jamie, like, uh, at a tent, and Jamie has 
been like covered in henna tattoos and has some like beads braided into his hair and he looks yeah. miserable like i mean that kid always looks kind of miserable but this even more so <laughs> that is true he does look pretty fucking miserable i mean throughout this entire episode he looks pretty miserable which makes sense because they are like out in a desert. Yeah. <laughs> as, immediately the dad senses went off and is like, oh man, is that kid actually like poor, poor thing? <laughs> but Lois loves this. She wishes that she could get a uh, wallet size picture of Jamie right now. This is so great. <laughs> uh. And uh, that, that, that's where we will leave Lois until uh, everything sort of culminates at the end together. Who's next? <laughs> I think we will go to Reese next. Ah. So, <laughs> what do you think he named this one, Eric? <laughs> I don't know. My thought process was this was the triple S for Stanley Super Soaker, but... Uh, before this naming convention, that's the exact name I was thinking. Really? <laughs> awesome. Yes. Great minds. Well, <laughs> minds anyway. I don't know. <laughs> so this was the plotline name that caused the naming convention to change because you both are very close. But then I accidentally realized that I named this plotline the SS plotline and I went, mm. Yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> That's why I had to make sure so, I had an F. An extra very important, S. it's three S's, not two. <laughs> right, but when I looked it up, Super Soaker is one word. Uh, also, you guys both guessed it, like the original plotline. I'm not even making it, like, not even trying nice. to make Eric feel better. That was the original plotline for Yay. this. Well, what nonsense did you change it to, Davis? <laughs> it's not nonsense. This is, it, it really speaks to the, the spirit of this plotline jake one would even say the spirit animal of this plotline this is wow wow this is the coyote freedom plotline jake oh get out of your own podcast get out <laughs> very clever See. <laughs> There's a very specific brand of hippie nonsense that I do hate, David, and you are tapping into it so perfectly. I know, I know! <laughs> Which, to be fair, a lot of this episode also taps into very well. <laughs> oh, just wait. Oh, God. Oh, no. Uh, well... Uh, this plotline starts with uh, Reese having abandoned Malcolm, and he finds a guy holding a super soaker, and he asks him where the topless women are. And of course, in a true Reese fashion, that, that, that on its own isn't bad enough. He has to clarify that he doesn't want any uggos or blimps, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, why and... would you want a blimp covering up all that beautiful sky? <laughs> Blimps are a terrible way to travel. See, Reese. <laughs> and uh, this guy agrees to uh, guide Reese to what he's looking for, saying he's heading that direction anyways. And as they're walking, uh, the guy asks some, like, people walking by if they want some Stanley. The guy's name, 
his name is Nate, apparently, according to the the wiki and the uh, the IMDb page. Does anyone ever say that though? No, no, he's he's never introduced. But for our purposes, instead of just saying the guy or the man in the suit, because actually that's what my notes all said, like the man in the suit jacket. Until I saw that, and it's just like I change everything to Nate. So I guess for our purposes, it's Nate. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. The uh, there's actually like a couple characters like that in this episode because the uh, the the lady in Malcolm's plotline, her name is also never said, but she does have one in the credits. Huh. But I also did not check that until uh, after I'd made all my notes, and I didn't bother to go change it. So all of my notes for this are also Super Soaker Guy and Shaman Lady. <laughs> She's Anita. She's Nita. <laughs> I'll get out now. That one was worth it. <laughs> but uh, he explains uh, when uh, Reese asks uh, what Stanley is, he explains that Stanley was his friend... Uh, who always came to Burning Man with him, and he wanted his ashes spread at Burning Man, and this is his way of spreading his ashes and uh, <laughs> having him become part of the spirit of Burning Man. <laughs> you can shoot a dead guy at people? <laughs> <laughs> you can do whatever you want here, kid. It is about freedom, as he informs Reese. <laughs> He says that, uh, you know, he can do anything, and Reese, uh, upon hearing that, of course, goes to smashing and destroying things. <laughs> and he's told that, yeah, if you really felt like that's what you needed to do, you could do that. But uh, Burning Man isn't about destruction, it's about creation and community. And he tells Reese that if he is willing to take it that this could be a mind-altering journey for him. And Reese clearly, like, getting on board, uh, gets, like, a look of determination on his face and says, Give me some Stanley! <laughs> oh, Reese. Oh, he gets it all right. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, he gets a lot of Stanley. He really does. <laughs> a, a disturbing amount, one could say. <laughs> this uh, whole Stanley thing did make me think of the big Lebowski with uh, Steve Buscemi's character's ashes at the end of the movie. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Getting caught up in the wind. <laughs> like, directly into their faces. <laughs> I forgot about that. Man, I need to rewatch that movie. It's a good movie. Uh, and it's in the same universe as Malcolm in the Middle, canonically, so. Apparently. Keep that in mind. According to an insane person, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, we get a like little brief glimpse of Reese as he is, uh, much like Lois, getting into the Burning Man spirit as we see him uh, shirtless in a drum circle as he's like playing a bucket, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> the, the most notable thing about the drum circle is that one lady is just like playing a guy's stomach as her drum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then at the breakfast with the green eggs, uh, Reese agrees with Lois about, uh, you know, the being artsy thing, saying that he's learned a lot about art being here, that it's not just uh, old guys and drag drawing themselves. <laughs> Uh, it's about making and unmaking. And when he blew up that mailbox, it was art. He just didn't know it yet. <laughs> God. 
<laughs> Reese, Reese, Reese. <laughs> then uh, we get another just like brief, like visual gag as uh, when Dewey is walking with the septic tank, it like. Like, the, the camera, like, stays uh, behind as, like, Dewey walks by and then focuses in on Reese as he is walking in the, uh, like, conga line of men in diapers. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Apparently, he has joined the men's diaper brigade. <laughs> You gotta do what you gotta do, man. Then the last bit we get of Reese before things start coming together... Uh, which will end up sort of setting the uh, circumstances for things coming together up is uh, it starts with Reese like dancing around a bonfire with a bunch of other people and he gets like literally dragged away from the dance by a couple guys and uh, initially he assumes that he's in trouble and says that he wants his lawyer. <laughs> his lawyer is the naked guy with uh, and the bison head over there by the fire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> what a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he is informed that uh, he's not in trouble, that they have chosen him to be the torchbearer for the big Burning Man event. And that is where we will leave Reese for now. So from there, we will go to Hal. What did you think for this name, Eric? Well, funny enough, before David brought up that it was all performance piece related, my thought process for this plotline was the PP plot for performance piece. So Yeah, I'm just going to continue going with... Oh, no, actually, that would make sense for you. Um, I'll say this is the... N plot for norming. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Jake. This is the life and death of AstroTurf. <laughs> what? What are we even doing? <laughs> okay, David. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> it is fitting. Uh, it's also apparently the name of an actual performance art piece. <laughs> and I saw it on the list and I went, well, he's on AstroTurf, so... He sure is. <laughs> <sighs> the correct response. In point of fact, this plotline does start with Hal putting out the AstroTurf. <laughs> which he, uh has his grill on and uh, he tells like some of the people you know watching him set all of this up that he is going to uh, make the best hamburgers and hot dogs they've ever had on me and that uh, as he's like uh, continuing to like set all of this up the onlookers have like a conversation trying to figure out what he's doing and one of them determines that he is doing a performance art piece about the banality of the life of a suburban dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but there's a problem with my name for it. <laughs> Again, Dave. <laughs> Both you and this episode. And honestly, the whole Burning Man thing in general really taps into a specific type of hippie nonsense <laughs> that I have surprisingly little patience for, <laughs> considering how much I love a lot of other hippie nonsense. 
<laughs> yeah, it is really weird that we've kind of like flip flopped on this. I do love that this is an intro, like to a season episode. <laughs> Kyle like notices that uh, you know as he's continuing to solve this up that like a small group of people have like gathered to watch him do this, and he like mutters to himself that he didn't know the Lucky Lou convention was in town. <laughs> Uh, well, he would know. He's all about conventions. <laughs> You're not wrong. That's true. <laughs> then, uh, at the Green Eggs breakfast, uh, as I sort of already said, Hal is, like, complaining about being at Burning Man, talking about how much he doesn't like it, and he says he doesn't want to eat green food, uh, specifically green eggs and toast. <laughs> and... Uh, that, that, like, causes Lois, you know, to tell him to try to settle down, to, you know, try to enjoy this vacation, but, uh, Hal just can't. He is, like, whitely tapped whitely towned Whitely? <laughs> I mean... I mean, yes, but... <laughs> you wanna, you wanna you know Freudian what? slip I there I stand by more? it. Nope, nope, I stand by it. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> this is a real thinking box. <laughs> moment david it sure is <laughs> uh. i need you to get back inside your thinking box <laughs> we, we then see some more of hal's quote-unquote performance as he is outside the rv sweeping the astroturf and a much more significant crowd has gathered to watch him do this and they're uh, commenting on how great it is. That's where uh, Eric's opening line comes from. As one of them says that uh, th this performance is as vicious as it is hilarious. <laughs> and Hal, uh, getting tired of, you know, all these people watching him, like, starts to yell at them to leave him alone. He, like, tries to shoot them away with the broom, which uh, causes everyone to clap and, like, cheer. <laughs> and, uh, of course, this just... Uh, Sets Hal off even more as he starts, you know, yelling about what's wrong with you people. Then a frisbee hits the RV. <laughs> and Hal rushes over to, like, you know, make sure that it hasn't been scratched. And he yells at them again and says he's going to take this. And he hopes that they learn a lesson on the next few days before he gives this back. Which is met by more cheers and applause. <laughs> Then, uh, Hal, like, uh, rushes, like, into the RV, clearly horrified at this, like, gathered crowd that he does not understand why they're all just staring at him. <laughs> then, uh, Hal has a conversation inside the RV with Malcolm, in which Hal says that they don't belong there, that, uh, this place is for freaks and weirdos, not for people like him and Malcolm. <laughs> And he says, you know, people might think that we're close-minded, uh, but there's nothing close-minded about shunning ideas that make you scared and uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just good writing. <laughs> yes. And he uh, goes on to say that, you know, they, they're right to be scared because life is scary. Life is things eating other things. I mean... <laughs> And that they should just stay in here and let the people out there eat each other. <laughs> God, how? <ow. sighs> Which, 
Uh, this speech has the unintended effect of making Malcolm, like, run back out into Burning Man. <laughs> which, how, like, leans out the door behind him, yelling at Malcolm to come back to get back here. And, of course, the crowd is there waiting for him, and they interpret this as more of how, you know, commenting on the suburban dad life. And they immediately start to cheer and, like, crowd around the RV. <laughs> and how, like, retreats back in and finds that they have, like, completely surrounded the RV and are, like, staring through all of the windows at him. <laughs> and when he yells at them to get off my property... They all start cheering and, like, pounding on the windows in approval. <laughs> uh... <laughs> you know, before I changed the naming convention, this was almost the Fuzzy Lumpkins plotline. <laughs> Just for that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that is where we will leave Hal for now, leaving only Malcolm, the most uh, significant plot uh, time-wise. What do you think he named this one, Eric? <laughs> uh, well, I thought it was going to be part of the like larger scale, like the the A plot. Um, so I called it the NW plot for naked women. So, but ah. I mean, I guess it also kind of fits still, <laughs> Malcolm centric. Yeah. <laughs> well, naked woman, anyway. <laughs> Huh. Uh, I'm going to say you named this the CHC plot for Crystal Healing Convention. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. Uh. Which is what I almost called the HAL plot because I was just trying to think of generic hippie things I hate. <laughs> wow. Uh, oh, no, that works way better for the Malcolm plot line. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, no, this is the A-L-I-N-A-T question mark uh, plot line for at least it's not a teacher question mark. Oh, wow. well, is, is that a performance art piece? Uh, doing the acronym and then spelling it out is, is a very common naming convention that I found, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's full title is alley nat question mark at least it's not a teacher question mark <laughs> you're the worst <laughs> I, i'm the worst i i found these okay other people came up with these before me but i you just look took for their them. format and plugged in shit wow <laughs> Uh, this plot line uh, picks up with uh, Malcolm having been abandoned by Reese after stepping on the cactus. He is in line for the first aid dent. And he turns to camera and complains that he's going to spend uh, his whole weekend in this line to get into the medical tent. Then a guy wearing a ram skull mask comes over. And tells him that the uh, tent to see the shaman is much shorter. <laughs> I bet it is, buddy. <laughs> and he, like, pulls Malcolm away towards that, saying, uh, You don't think I would ever mislead you, do you? <laughs> uh, and other, like, little uh, weird credits things. This guy is credited as uh, Cowhead Man or Cow Skull Man, <laughs> which that is very clearly not a cow skull. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is 
awesome. <laughs> Which really makes me feel like some, like, poor intern was, like, tasked with, okay, for closed captioning purposes, you have to name these characters we didn't name. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does kind of have that feeling, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Then Malcolm, uh, uh, it's Anita, right? Yeah, Anita. This is the name? Okay, uh, and uh, Malcolm is brought in to see her, and she's advising the guy had before Malcolm that if he's going to eat glass, he needs to make sure to chew at least ten times before swallowing it. Yeah, dude, I, I had to, like, double take and read the captions <laughs> when I heard that, because, like, at first I was like, did she say grass or glass? Because, <laughs> like, that's that's... Two very different instructions. I mean, grass, okay, sure, but glass? <laughs> hmm. And uh, Malcolm comes in and tells her that, you know, he stepped on a cactus. And he starts saying that, you know, he thinks he probably needs uh, some, like, antibiotics. And she promptly starts, like, sucking on the injury on his foot. Which uh, Malcolm is, like, very confused by just saying, uh, excuse me, ma'am? <laughs> <laughs> and she, like, pulls her mouth away from his foot and, uh, like, looks up at him and says that he has a lot of, uh, internalized criticism, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one word for it. <laughs> Uh, and uh, he says, sure, but I don't really see how that's... And then uh, she, like, resumes sucking on his foot. <laughs> and... Gross. It is very gross. <laughs> <laughs> and when she, like, finishes this time, she tells him that his problem is that he has all this passion inside of him, but he needs to let his armor down so it can come out. And also, you need a tetanus shot. <laughs> <laughs> See, now, this is the type of alternative medicine I can get behind. Listen. The non-alternative part? Yeah, yeah. No, listen. I, listen, I definitely have a more tolerant uh, of this stuff view than Jake. I'm perfectly fine with all your herbs and sages and grasses and stuff, as long as you're also fine with the fact that tetanus is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I mean, <laughs> you say that, but I feel like referring to it as herbs and spices is low-key more insulting. <laughs> um, so are you cooking or like, doing medicine? I get the, What's going if on? If somebody takes it that way, I guess. But, like, I'm literally talking about, like... Right. Things I that I know about that are herbs and spices that you use, like turmeric, for instance, for inflammation. I'm I'm very pro homeopathic healing, but it needs to be mixed with Western medicine. That that, that I actually agree on. Uh, <laughs> crystal healing, on the other hand, not so much. Well, that's yeah. a whole other thing. That's that's yeah. That's not homeopathic. That's that's happy nonsense. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Psychopathic. No offense to anyone listening who believes in that. <laughs> yeah, listen. You show me the science that backs it up, and I'll start preaching it. But until then, I unfortunately have to side with Jake. <laughs> okay. If you're into that stuff, that's fine. But also, go see a fucking doctor. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, then Malcolm turns to camera 
and says, I know this lady's old enough to be my mom, and she's clearly a loon, but I'm kind of turned on right now, which leads me to conclude that Malcolm is a foot guy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's a rational conclusion after all right now, Jake. This has clearly awakened something in Malcolm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, he's really going down that Tarantino route. <laughs> he's kind of a reverse Tarantino, though, because that's not women's feet that he's into. It's, it's women feet. doing stuff to his feet. Yeah. You know what? You're right. That's fair. It's, he's like the foot equivalent of a bottom. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I guess would be a soul. <laughs> Wow. Oh my god! Oh, that's it. Wrap it up. That's we're done here. That's it's not going to get any better than that. Oh my god! What the fuck? Why am I here? Well done. But from there we go into a montage, which. Uh, I will tell you, uh, David, because we had so many issues remembering montages for the uh, season wrap-up for the last season, uh-huh. I have in the like title for the file of my notes in this episode has a montage next to the episode. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> That's fair. I will not have that, so. <laughs> but uh, this is sort of a bonding montage between the two of them, as it starts with her, like, telling Malcolm about her, like, philosophy on alternative medicine, about how it's about listening to the body, and how Western medicine silences the body. Then uh, it cuts to Malcolm uh, telling her that uh, he doesn't think space colonization is such a great idea because the Earth will still have all of its problems, and that's just sending the Earth's problems out to space. Then she is, like, talking to Malcolm about uh, Werner von Braun and his philosophy on, like, spirituality and science, which did give me pause because I'm like, that guy was a Nazi. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I get the whole, like, looking past that for, like, he also invented modern rockets and, like, space travel. But when I'm, like, looking for, like, spiritual guidance, I think the was a Nazi should maybe give me pause. <laughs> oh, Jake. Listen, I would love to be able to expect that from people, but if if any of our conversations with some of our friends has taught you anything, Jake, that's not going to deter everyone. True. <laughs> there, there, or even most sides of a political party. So. There seems to be a lot of people in the... Was a Nazi, but he had a good point, Camp. And I don't, I don't like that. Kanye, big fan. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, back to this montage. <laughs> yes, get us anywhere out of here. Oh no, we're still talking about World War II and the Japanese guilt with the Godzilla costume. That's next. So. Oh God, we are! I forgot about that. Oh my God. But Eric, why does this the costume have to look so cheap? That is a good question. Uh, she then like lists her favorite uh, musicians, which include uh, the Go Go's and the Bangles. 
then they're talk uh, like talking about their mutual hatred for Charlotte's web. <laughs> he says he always wanted to smash that whiny annoying spider. Oh, the irony. So, <laughs> oh, oh, Malcolm, <laughs> you you poor self deluded soul. Also, fuck you. Charlotte's web was fine. I mean, that's no babe. <laughs> I actually agree with that statement. <laughs> As, like I know you're being a smartass, kinda, but I actually kind of agree with that. If it, listen, I don't like a whole lot of pig-based media, but if I were gonna watch one, <laughs> then uh, just cuts to her saying "deep dish," then to Malcolm saying "chocolate chip," and then to both of them at the same time saying "Oscar the Grouch." This is the correct pick. Yeah, I, I'm with them on that one. Yeah. Oscar yeah, Rouch is a top-tier Muppet. <laughs> top-tier. And then they have sex. As it cuts to them, like, laying naked, like, cuddled together. And Malcolm says to camera that he always thought that stuff people said about love was just to piss him off. <laughs> Malcolm would take that approach. And, uh, yeah, th this is the, uh, plot point we were alluding to at the beginning of the episode that, uh, a lot of people take issue with is Malcolm is, uh, 17 at this point. Yes, which, uh -huh. uh, which is problematic. It's creepy. It is. Uh, but, I mean, to be fair, I, I, I don't know. I'm just speaking as devil a devil's advocate here. She obviously didn't know that he was accompanied by his parents. She didn't know that he was a high school student. She could have just thought that he was a younger-looking... I mean, obviously, he's much younger than she is, but she probably thinks that he's in his early 20s, maybe? Like, she's not thinking that he's not of, you know, like, adult age, right? I mean, because don't you, isn't there some kind of, like, age restriction for Burning Man? Like, you have to buy tickets, right? So I think you have to be of a certain age, don't you? I would, I would assume so. I don't so. think so. Oh. I, yeah, I, I doubt very highly that... You know, something like Burning Man is paying real close attention to, you know, purchaser ages and things like that. Well, but I mean, if like an obviously high school age person shows up on their own, <laughs> like I... I think you have to buy tickets to Burning Man. You do. I looked up the Wikipedia thing because I was going to... Actually, I didn't know that it was still around. I thought that like, like COVID might have killed it, so... Uh, I was looking to see, and the, like, yeah, like even back then, 2004, when this would have been filmed, there was even a note in the Wikipedia that's that they filmed during that time. There, um, it was like 130 bucks or something for like the low income uh, tickets for those. So I mean, I they're I, low income yeah. Burning Man gets, huh? Yeah. So I'm assuming her thought process was that this person is at least 18 to be a Burning Man of his own accord so she didn't think that she was taking I, I don't know again it's still creepy because she knows that he's that he's much younger than she is but my thought process is like this person doesn't know that he's like underage so that would have been much more problematic if it was like david scenario like if it was a teacher kind of thing like if you're teaching someone like in middle school or high school you know actively that that person is a ch literal child and should, you should not be taking advantage of them in this like real world setting where it's kind of like a it's a different scenario i think in my mind so it's still problematic but it's less so than i think a lot of people are like oh that's rape and whatnot it's like i don't think that she saw it that way and he certainly didn't see it that way so yeah it, it, it still comes down to responsibility and and 
who who has the onus of responsibility in that situation and i think that it is always gonna fall on the uh more mature and older individual because like i i get what you're saying i actually have a friend who kind of almost went through some problems because of that because he's an idiot and couldn't tell the difference between uh ages uh and we all had to be like hey you need to ask her how old she is and then it was a good thing we did but like I don't know. It just, it seems, and I mean, I get it because Malcolm can converse at a higher like level. It might not be as obvious, but even smart kids spend five minutes around them. You know, they're a teenager, you know, they're, you know what I mean? Like it, it becomes very obvious. Obviously they showed the whole montage was a passage of time. And so like his IQ and the conversations that they were having together certainly betrayed someone that was like, a 17 year old kid like he he obviously presented as as older in this case and so i don't know and plus they also kind of make it with like the <laughs> almost as if she had some kind of like intuitive powers when she's sucking on his foot that she kind of like reads all this stuff about his character and so like maybe like she you know because they are kind of leaning hard into like the hippy dippy angle like she's like oh she uh intuited that he was an old soul and so she you know i <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> he was gonna say fucking old soul i hate that fucking phrase <laughs> i didn't say i loved it i'm just saying that's uh... kind of like uh there's been evidence of the show leading up to this point where it was kind of like portraying that message i, I certainly uh think that they could have avoided a lot of issues had they just not had that as a plot point. But I also don't find it as like condemning of a show. Cause there's people that just like, will adamantly just refuse to watch this episode or call this like the worst episode of the series because of what happens is like, oh, that's definitely not it's true. not, there's certainly <laughs> yeah. like a lot worse things that happen over the course of the show than this, in my opinion. Like then again, like, I mean, if the roles were reversed because it, it got, like the societal kind of stereotypes and uh like if this was hal and like a 17 year old woman then that's like hugely problematic like it's kind of just like society doesn't seem like they almost kind of be like oh good for that kid for like nailing the teacher like you know that the teachers get fired but then everyone kind of like oh that kid like oh what a lucky kid like we're all those teachers when I was in school, you know, but it's just like, obviously if it's like, if it's a male with a younger female, that's an issue. But if it's a younger male with an older female, it's kind of just like pat the guy on the back. I mean, I, and I don't agree with that either, but I just, I also, again, I don't find that this is like the worst episode of the series because of this plot point. I just don't think it's that. Yeah. Yeah. I have a different perspective and opinion on that whole train of thought, especially with what I do. So, like, I hate that sort of idea of the the double standard that exists for, you know, the the male students versus female students, for example, and right. stuff like that. And it's like, yeah. Well, no, yeah, it's, it's fucked. It's, bad. it's just like the whole thing with just, like, a, a woman that sleeps with, like, more than two or three partners. She's a slut, but a guy does it, and it's like, oh, he's just spreading a seed. Like, yeah, that's, that's fucked, and that double standard is stupid. I'm just saying, like society yeah. does kind of present it like it's it's much more problematic and this show gets canceled and you guys probably aren't doing the show and we're certainly not talking about it if the roles are reversed and it's like a, a older male with a younger female that's a, a much bigger deal yeah i i don't think this bloodline as it is happens now and yeah the, like if the roles are reversed then it doesn't happen in 2005 even mm -hmm. right 
Yeah. Because of that double standard. But yeah, I mean, I, I fully get people not liking this episode, like, especially if, like, this is a thing that is closer to them personally. Sure. Uh, but I, personally, I, I do agree it, it doesn't ruin the entire episode for me, but this plot point is gross. <laughs> but there's just so many other great things in this that it just... Jake hates it, Moe. <laughs> that too. <laughs> much lower down the priority list but it is on there that the foot thing is gross <laughs> oh jake <laughs> but uh getting back to the episode we then see uh Malcolm uh, waking up the next morning and uh, they like have a conversation about, you know, what they're going to do with their day. Malcolm wants them to spend the day together, but she says that she has a lot of rebirthing ceremonies to go through today, but that, you know, they, they can meet up later tonight. And Malcolm says, you know, fine, go do your uh, rebirth whatevers and we can meet <laughs> up later. And... When he says that, uh, she says, you know, what's wrong? And uh, Malcolm says that, you know, nothing is wrong. And she insists that she's sensing something. She can't quite put it down, but there's something wrong here. And when Malcolm, like, once again denies it, uh, she says uh, he uh, resents what she does. And Malcolm, like, turns to camera and says that... uh, he should really just keep quiet for the next five seconds, and he starts to count down. <laughs> but when he gets to two, he can't help himself, and he says, Well, it is a pretty silly ritual. Oh, and Malcolm. Of course, that, like, prompts an argument, and she kicks him out of her tent. Then, that is where Malcolm is at the RV uh, with Hal, and Both of them are, like, complaining about being here, talking about how awful it is. And that's what prompts Hal to go into his little speech about how they're, you know, not really (laughs) closed-minded. And uh, the the speech, like, uh, convinces Malcolm that uh, he needs to get back out there and get over himself. (laughs) As Hal has unintentionally told him exactly what he needed to hear. (laughs) And Malcolm goes to the rebirthing ceremony, uh, which the ceremony, like, consists of, like, the, the person who's doing the rebirth, like, uh, strips down, like, at least takes off their shirt and then gets splashed with some, uh, like, buckets of water and run through, like, a bunch of, like, big inflatable, like, pillow things that are, like, being, like, pushed into them. They, they look like bean bags, kind of. I thought kinda yeah it also but they yeah maybe I, but they've got more like the inflatable look to it is like i don't know it's weird it's true. they're like inflatable beanbags <laughs> yeah and that <laughs> I, I thought it was water too but especially like with how malcolm looks kind of later on it looks more viscous as if it's kind of like a an oil kind of based yeah thing. <laughs> yeah yeah hal's comment later makes me think it's not water but I don't want to think about what it could be <laughs> instead uh, of water. That <laughs> so I'm calling fair. it water. <laughs> and uh, no more investigation needed. Uh, exactly. Yep, it's solved, yeah. 
<laughs> I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> Uh, you're fine. It's just gross. <laughs> it's gross, and we have an active imagination. <laughs> it's not your fault, Eric. You didn't come up with this rebirth ceremony. It's those goddamn hippies. Jesus, Jake. <sighs> just imagine it being all rubbed all over your feet, Jake, and then someone licking it oh. off. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> what is wrong with you? Calm down, Tarantino. Jeez. Ugh. I just knew that I would get that reaction. <laughs> See, Eric, th- this is why the whole love hate thing. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but uh, as Malcolm is uh, about to go through this himself, He's, like, talking to camera about how, you know, yeah, this is silly, but, uh, you know, aren't all rituals kind of silly? And then he notices that the person in line behind him is a literal baby. <laughs> like a couple ass. <laughs> He's really made some mistake in his first two days. <laughs> he sure has. He needs a fresh start. Yeah. And that uh, prompts Malcolm to turn back to camera and say, okay, so this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> But uh... he goes through with it anyway. And he comes out on the other side with like a big smile. Uh, and he like has had this moment while he was, uh, you know, going through the process. And he feels like he has actually been reborn, as he tells Anita. <laughs> and. She asks, like, uh, you, you went through this rebirth ceremony for me? And he says, no, I, you know, that that's how it started. But I opened my mind to something I didn't believe in uh, for the first time. And I actually went through this and I actually feel reborn. And she promptly says, we can never see each other again. He's too malleable. Y- yep, he's too malleable. <laughs> she could have dealt with the condescending cynic, but... She doesn't want to be with a guy that'll just go and do this sort of thing because he thinks that she wants him to. I cannot do that if that's what you want. (laughs) Ah, there's good old malleable Malcolm. (laughs) I love how he realizes it, though. Like, as he's actively saying it, he realizes that this is like, oh, I'm I'm falling into that same cyclical kind of trap, so... Yep. (laughs) And she, like, once again kicks him out, and he is, you know, left to uh, wander off back towards the rest of the family, forlorn and sad. And that is where his individual plotline wraps up, so we will go to sort of the culmination as all of the plotlines start coming together uh, at the Burning Man Effigy. (laughs) where when reese is given the torch and told you've been given the honor of ending burning man by burning the man (laughs) uh reese shockingly can't go through with setting something on fire (laughs) because it would mean ending burning man and he doesn't want to do that he's finally found somewhere where he feels like he belongs Poor Reese. And when they, like, insist that he has to do it, he starts swinging the torch around at people, (laughs) trying to, like, fend them off from the effigy. That's right. It'll never end. (laughs) 
And uh, as he is, like, keeping everyone else at bay with this torch, Hal pulls up with the RV, once again honking the horn. <laughs> Which does the, like, super stereotypical sound. I can't think of the name of it. I know. Makukaraja. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. I couldn't, like, I knew that's what it was, but my brain was not forming words <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> but yeah. like, let's just light the bastard so we can get out of here <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i love it uh... then dewey arrives and declares that he's ready to go as he has finished cleaning hal's precious floor mats <laughs> <laughs> poor dewey <laughs> malcolm arrives and says that he's ready to go as well and starts to get into the RV, but Hal says he can't get in uh, covered in that, which is what makes me question what was in those buckets. <laughs> <laughs> you asked too many questions, Jake. <laughs> Just super, super wet water. Let's... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he has to dry off before he can get in. That's what it is. And that's all it is. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Nothing more. Then the crowd uh, like starts to react <laughs> as uh, some trumpets are being blown. Uh, do you have in your notes what they call this, Eric? Because I I, for, I didn't write the, it down. The trumpet trumpet strumming is what I heard. I tried to double back several times and I couldn't. Just like the the guy in all the like the the light up bracelets that was all over his body just said multiple times the trumpet strumming i thought that's what i got i don't think that's right but <laughs> probably not uh but uh it is a like parade of topless people some men some women uh like blowing like uh plastic horns as they like parade towards the effigy and one of these uh topless trumpet players is in fact lois <laughs> She, uh, like, sees Reese's, they, like, see each other, and she, like, immediately yells out to Reese that he better be staying out of trouble. <laughs> and Hal, seeing her, you know, uh, naked, uh, just says that, uh, you look great, honey, now let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd, like, starts to, uh, press closer to Reese, and... Uh, in a panic move, he throws the torch away from the effigy and towards the RV. <laughs> and it, like, perfectly goes through the open door and lands in a pile of cleaning supplies left by Dewey. Um. And the RV explodes. <laughs> Which prompts the crowd to start cheering Burning Van, Burning Van. <laughs> Listen, they needed an effigy and they needed it to be on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Them's the rules. I mean, it rhymes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and as we all know, rhyme scheme is an important thing. <laughs> and, uh, it does like cuts to some of the family like reacting to this destroyed burning RV and uh, the two like most notable ones are Dewey just has a giant smile on his face <laughs> <laughs> and of course Hal looks absolutely mortified <laughs> yeah Dewey looks like a person getting revenge like yes <laughs> uh, I love it 
Then the episode wraps up back at the Wilkerson house where Reese is like talking, saying, talking about how great Burning Man is and about how they're absolutely going back next year. And then it like pans over to show that he's talking to Lois, who says, absolutely we are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lois. And uh, then Malcolm, like, turns the camera and says that, you know, Burning Man didn't turn out the way that he hoped it would, but uh, he thinks he'll get over it before Dad does. (laughs) And Hal, like, gets up and tells Lois not to wait up for him. He'll probably be out until dawn again because he has to go dig a new septic tank for his boss. And as he's walking away, he says, uh, Dewey, come on, we have to move the pet cemetery first. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, poor Dewey. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Reese is the one who threw the torch. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Dewey did nothing wrong, but he's still punished by this stupid RV. (laughs) And that's where this episode wraps up, so let's go to our awards. I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> awards. And as usual. Well, thank you for making me a part of that now. <laughs> <laughs> the most annoying uh... part. <laughs> it's like the loudest and most obnoxious part of it. <laughs> yeah? yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can get behind that. <laughs> so you're not alone in, in this torture. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to distract from how annoying my bit is. Oh, it's great. It's phenomenal. Your part's phenomenal. But I'm honored uh-huh. to be a part of it now with you. So. I'm glad. <laughs> uh... See, some people don't throw a fit about it, unlike David. <laughs> Shut up, Jake. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> that should be part of it now, too. <laughs> Shut up, Jake. I hate you. Yeah, yeah it fits. <laughs> Honestly, you could probably just loop that and play it like every like, 20, 25 seconds throughout the course of the episode, and it would probably track with most of the stuff. You could stop trying to get me kicked off my own podcast, because <laughs> if he does that, what do I need to be here for? <laughs> <laughs> you also named the plot lines, David. No, oh, thanks. <laughs> I hate it here. <laughs> but uh, uh, to those awards, we will, uh, as usual, start with the Roller Skating King Award, the award for the best visual moment. What did you have for this one, Eric? It was the heat shockwave from the RV explosion that <laughs> it literally blows off Hal's uh, hat. And then his dumbfounded look uh, paired along with Malcolm's grin and also Dewey's <laughs> grin. It's just great stuff. And what did you have, David? I selected the scene where they uh, get out of the RV at Burning Man. Specifically, all of the like craziness that they see with like the... The dude whose head's in a fishbowl and the the blue painted man uh, getting out of the like metallic egg and stuff. I just I found that to be absolutely hysterical. I I love that. So that was mine. Okay. Uh, yeah. My, my first choice was Eric's choice. Uh, it, it was those like reaction shots to the explosion. 
And I, I did have as my uh, third option, just sort of generically, all of the Burning Man people costumes, because <laughs> I do do a really good job with that throughout this episode. They do. Uh, but my other option that I will be going with is the Flaming Catapult. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> and Reese says that, uh, you know, having all this freedom takes all the fun out of mindless destruction. <laughs> Uh, he's told well that's what the flaming catapult is for and there's just like the sound of a catapult and then like behind him you see just like a ball of fire like trailed by a giant cloud of black smoke go by that's great uh... and moving on to our next award what did you have for your hot dog with mustard award your award for the best line uh, so it was uh reese's when they're trying to uh, when he's thinking about going through the great, when he says, I know what you're thinking. The Roadrunners are too smart and fast to eat, but the Coyotes are idiots. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's phenomenal. I mean, there are a lot of, there are a lot of great lines as there always are, especially with the Michael Gloomerman, uh, scripts, but, uh, this one was, yeah, that's just my favorite. Okay, fair enough. What did you have, David? <laughs> I went with, we are civilized people, and civilized people put up arbitrary boundaries, and they will fight to the death to defend them. <laughs> that was my backup. That is great. <laughs> uh, I love Hal so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did have that one as one of my possibilities, uh, but since you took that one, I will go with the other Hal line I have down, uh, which is, Green eggs and toast? I do not like green eggs and toast. <laughs> oh, dude, I love that line so much. It, that was also my backup, also followed by uh, Hal's explaining uh, how he got the RV, is I think mm. a hilarious line. I had like five Hal lines in mine. <laughs> I love how he's like, that's how the corporate world works. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh moving along to our next award uh which of these plot lines did you choose to give the a plot of your heart uh i think the funniest moments came from the hell centered subplot so i went with that one as did i i actually had to give the award to a different plot line uh very specifically because i have a deep well of empathy for my boy Dewey because I too have never had a good family vacation every single time our, we went RVing or went on a family vacation or something I got like massively sick or shitty things happen like when we went back to Ohio I had to miss Kings Island because I got super randomly sick even though I was nice and healthy for all the super humid hot days <laughs> And, like, my first time at Devil's Tower here locally, like, I, I was massively, massively sick. Or, like, I always get stuck with shit detail. And, like, yeah, it, I, I just completely empathize with Dewey. Also, the, uh, the other part that sold it was the smile at the end for me. <laughs> like, just, just watching Dewey watch this thing burn that he has come to hate was uh, priceless. I, I loved it. So... Then, uh, given the way these plot lines are arranged, I feel like there'll be some matching up. But uh, who did you have as your top skate dog, your favorite character? <laughs> so uh, I went with 
Reese, uh, like he started out just wanting to go for perverted reasons, as is typical for Reese. But then uh, he had a real epiphany along the way. And then he even proved to others like outsiders that he could embody that spirit of belonging and didn't kind of end end up uh, the best for him. But uh, I I think he, uh, he had the most range of all the characters. Okay. Who did you go with, David? I originally was thinking Lois, um, but then, like, as the the insanity of Hal's plotline continued on, like, I, I had to go with Hal. I know I give it to him so much, but, dude, so fucking funny. <laughs> I love this idea of him being just so anti-Burning Man, and then everyone there thinking that he is, like, in line with what they believe and think so much so and it's just i don't know it's so funny uh yeah i i also have hal as my favorite character uh for that and i also do i really like in this episode that they kind of invert expectations because we're, we're used to seeing hal be like the the wany like crazy person in yeah. like any given situation so it's nice to see him be like the normal person in this weird scenario yeah, super well it's nice to see lois like and uh, yeah. I start to see Lois, like, let loose and, like, get super into this very weird environment that seems like she should hate and should be, like, perfectly up Hal's alley. Yep. <laughs> then, who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award, your award for the best acting? <laughs> Obviously, sticking with the theme here, I went with Justin Burfield as Reese. I mean, for the same reason that I gave for uh, favorite character, because he had the most growth, in my opinion, and also the most placent in various opportunities to show the most range and so i think like we've said before like brian cranston obviously did a phenomenal performance the best acting probably is brian cranston to be fair but we're just so used to seeing that it's just like we kind of have to grade on a curve just like we do with the shittiest and least shitty kids right it's like brian cranston has to like go really above and beyond anymore so, I mean, Justin Burfield, I think, kind of has, like, he, he starts out as typical Reese. He has that growth period. He ends up as kind of typical Reese, but along the way, he has, uh, like, just different levels of him, and I think he portrayed it really well. Okay. Who did you have, David? I actually also had uh, Justin Burfield. Uh, I think that this is, a, is an excellent uh, sort of showcase for him, if you will, and... Uh, on top of that, I, I, his character was interesting and funny, but not in a, like, just completely dismissed sort of way, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I found it hilarious. And I, you add on top of that, like, the comedy portion to, to sort of add to what Eric's saying, you know, he, he has this range, but you also get to see him sort of being the, like, wild child without being disrespectful and insane and whatnot like obviously there's the normal problematic misogynistic comments and stuff that he makes but for the most part his like craziness is being expressed in a way that is non-destructive and violent which is fun to see okay fair enough uh i actually chose jane kazmarek for this award despite her being not in the episode a whole lot because she does do such a good job of playing against type and playing Lois in a way that still feels like Lois, but is also so completely different from what we're used to seeing from the character. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. You can get on board with that. I get that. And who did you give your Mrs. Dabney Award? Your award for the worst parent. <laughs> I mean, like Lois's showing with Jamie wasn't great, but it's got to be, uh, it's got to be Hal. I mean, he forced labor on Dewey. Uh, and then he also expressly stated that the RV was worth three times that of any of the kids. I mean, that's just, come on, Hal. Like, that, that's just the worst. It's funny, but oh, he's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Hal is, Hal is the shittiest parent. As he so often is. Yeah. <laughs> Then what did you give your OK Boomer Award, your award for the moment or detail that sets this episode firmly within its time of release? I don't know if you guys had a tough as time as I did. Like, I tried deep diving on Super Soakers. I tried uh, looking up Road King RVs. I even looked at JCPenney because I was thinking, like, okay, surely that photo department can't be, like, a thing anymore. Uh, but... I couldn't find anything specific that definite, uh, like definitively tied to the episode. So what I ended up going with is Reese's T-shirt for the Mermaid Lounge, which is, as far as I can tell, was from a New Orleans music club, which operated from 1993 to 2004. And so per the New Orleans Times you, the club, quote, personified the funky eclecticism of New Orleans nightlife, end quote. So, and if you want uh, a T-shirt with that same design that Reese was wearing, you can actually order it on redbubble.com. <laughs> okay that's awesome <laughs> uh what did you have david astroturf with an rv i feel like i haven't seen that in decades but i do remember when that was a thing and having like astroturf that you would lay out with the rv and sort of this like literally rolled of like that fake wannabe foosball felt grass for all the glampers and i yeah it's just it's insane i hate that stuff and every time i see it i think of those people who like thought that tents were gonna be the end of humanity uh, <laughs> like oh uh, dude i could not stand i i'm a pretty surprisingly i'm sure to some people like we grew up fairly outdoorsy and so like it was not uncommon for us to just go and hike into the middle of nowhere with tents and go camping even our family we frequently would pick like camping spots way the hell away from you know like everyone else uh, and yeah i don't know like camping old school and and shit i'm pretty sure if my dad could have convinced my mom We'd have been using like lean-to sheet tents and stuff. <laughs> um, like that was camping for me. So seeing, I, I still remember like pulling up to the very first time I ever went to. We have a local music festival here called Bear Trap Festival. And the first time I rolled up to that as a teenager and seeing like all these RV and all these old people like putting down this astroturf in front of it, I was like, "There's grass there. Why are you doing that?" <laughs> Uh. fair enough i went with the popularization and commodification of burning man <laughs> which this uh is like sort of like smack dab in the middle of is burning man has been around since the 80s and it is like a frequent like complaint that it has become like increasingly a thing for like uh, especially now, like, influencers and celebrities, uh, as opposed to, like, a thing that, like, 
normal people, like, go to, uh, which is part of why the tickets have become so expensive. I thought the new thing with, like, celebrities was the, uh, the, what's the name of that one? Coachella or whatever. I mean, yeah, but Coachella's always been. Uh, I don't know. I, I legitimately still don't know what the fuck Coachella is. I, it's just a music fest. Oh, okay. Dude, the way people talk about it, that is not what I thought it was. (laughs) I thought, like, legitimately, the only, like, I've only known a few people who have talked about Coachella, and every time they do, it basically sounds like if Billionaire Islands tried to host Burning Man. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is in sort of that era where Burning Man was turning it, like, from this, like, weird hippie thing and sort of blowing up into this much bigger like nationally known like big celebrity sort of thing which which i do think a like show on fox like having an episode about it like Mm. does sort of indicate that like this this has become a mainstream thing like this is no longer this like niche hippie like thing in the desert like it is a like widely known entity yeah. Like within pop culture. I'd say that's a pretty good marker. And then moving on, we have our shittiest and least shitty kid awards. Ah, you mean that completely agreeable, never controversial <laughs> moment in our show? I think we, we, we agreed most of last season. I'm sure that will continue. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, who did you have as least shitty kid? Dewey. He was the one that was stuck doing all the hard labor, and he didn't get to enjoy any of Burning Man. And so, even though he did uh, complain on, like, a Malcolm level in this episode, it was justified in this case because he was uh, suitably screwed. So I'm voting him least shitty. Okay. What about you, David? What an interesting way to put that. I don't know that I would have phrased it that way but yeah I, i'm also going with dewey as the least shitty kid okay i mean yeah we're, we are all in agreement and i also have dewey as least shitty kid he helps out the entire time i uh, you know he, he does some complaining but as eric said it's justified and he still goes through with everything and he even helps him you know at the end after all of this is through mm-hmm. right yeah yeah <laughs> with the punishment for destroying the <laughs> rv that he spent so much time slaving over yeah and who did you have as shittiest kid? I mean, from a literal standpoint, also Dewey. <laughs> but no. Wow. <laughs> uh, but no, he, he wasn't the shittiest kid. Uh, Malcolm, uh, he was his usual terrible cynical self, but the one who actually destroyed the van was Reese. So even though I feel like he had the most growth in a positive way, uh, at the end, he still kind of reverted to his destructive baseline level of Reese. So uh, Reese, unfortunately is the shittiest. Okay. Who did you have, David? Uh, I had Malcolm for weird, creepy foot stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I feel that you just swayed Jake over? <laughs> if he didn't already agree with you, he does now. <laughs> well, I actually didn't go with either of those choices. I, for shittiest kid, chose Jamie because he looks, every time we see him, he looks like he's judging Lois (laughs) and she is just having a good time for once in her life, which she deserves to have. And he's just sitting there all smug and judgmental. (laughs) 
What is wrong with you? <laughs> you changed it because I went with Malcolm, didn't you? No, I, I legitimately went with Jamie mostly because I was like, I, I don't want to choose Malcolm because I feel like all the stuff in his wall, like, like he's, he is, like, victimized. Correct. Reese, I do feel like, had, like, good growth. And sure, he blew up the RV, but it was accidental. And right. I already chose Dewey as least shitty kid. And I was like, you know what? Jamie looked kind of judgy <laughs> in all those scenes with Lois. Oh, Fuck it, I'm, I'm giving Jamie his first shittiest kid award. He deserves it. <laughs> There's something wrong with you. <laughs> uh... this is this is the world we live in okay (laughs) i don't have anything else to say because what do you say to that jamie's shittiest kid okay yeah Uh uh-huh you're a monster you know that right why I'm right. <laughs> no, oh, I'm right. Is this gonna You're insane. Devolve into some like uh, season five level for Jake. He's gonna vote Jamie the shittiest kid somehow in every single episode. <laughs> it should. But we'll Jake... see. We'll see. We'll see Jake what kind gets... of looks he's given Lois in future episodes. Wow. <laughs> so, see if he learns some respect for his mother or not. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh. oh, I can't wait to hear you try to use that more often. That didn't go over well for me at all. Uh, you're still a, I still dislike you for that whole bit. <laughs> okay, well, uh, that wraps up our awards, but we have a few segments left. Beginning oh, you're not gonna like with WTFF. <laughs> Where the fuck's Francis? So, Eric, where the fuck is Francis this okay, week? Okay, so, imitation former serial killer Francis really is trying to turn his life around for Piyama's sake. So, he's trying the straight and narrow, attempting to work with emotionally disturbed kids because he feels like he can relate and possibly prevent some of them from following along in his previously murderous footsteps. So, unfortunately... Uh, he was witness to the Buseys and their hostage scenario. So uh, while he's not involved with serious crime like murder anymore, he realized that he still has to make money somehow. So he's exploiting the Buseys to continue the lanyard operation. He's, <laughs> he's making sure that the teachers are suitably blackmailed themselves so that the Buseys actually do start to receive some form of education. So he's trying to do a little, at least a little bit right there. But they also must continue to make the lanyards. <laughs> which Francis has continued to distribute and take the profits for. He's taken Chad under his wing as an apprentice, feeling that he, Francis, can prevent Chad from becoming more violent and ending up a serial killer, but also knowing that he has a built-in scapegoat if and when something does go wrong. You're dragging the Buseys back in just to shit all over them no, and I'm to make to... them some no. sort of evil accomplice no, no, no. to Francis's they never, awfulness. They never got the proper education. Dewey was taking it upon himself to try to make sure that they were getting some learning. They were being exploited by their own teachers. Now Francis is trying to step in and say, like, okay, well, I'm going to continue to use them to continue to make lanyards, obviously, <laughs> but I also want them to get some form of education. I, <laughs> so he's splitting the difference. I hate this. <laughs> he's splitting the difference. <laughs> but, but, but we, 
slave labor and not slave labor. <laughs> God damn it. It's, it's, right? He, he doesn't refer to it as slave labor now. Now it's indentured servitude because they're actually getting sick. <laughs> Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) I agree with Jake on this. And wow. Well, I guess we'll just have to see when he shows up again what he's up to. I don't know. (laughs) Not that. Not that. I don't know who you think Francis is. Like, are you sure you're not following Herkaby around? Like, Jesus. Known hero Herkaby? What are you talking about? Yeah, that's completely different, David. Come on. Get out. <laughs> I can't I can't have two of you being pro Herkaby. Man of the people, Herkaby. <laughs> yeah, you one of our sleep beloved teacher, Lionel Herkaby. Uh, I didn't you know what? I'm gonna go resurrect Spangler and we're gonna go take out Herkaby. <laughs> oh. Okay, well, moving away from that nonsense to some different nonsense. <laughs> Let's go to the Cranston Connection, as we have determined that in some form or fashion, every character played by Brian Cranston is in some way the same character. So, David, what is this week's Cranston Connection? Uh, yes. So, I have uncovered this connection, and I have found out Hal's real hatred for Burning Man and anything hippie-related actually stems back to his attempting to try to separate himself from any form of anything to do with free love and or the sexual revolution, uh, mostly because of his time as James Petit, uh, where he was a once very wealthy patron of one of the first legal brothels in a very long time of the 20th century, and he blames that wild part of his life and his poor choices there on why he doesn't have the fortune that would allow him to, you know, provide for his family now and his uh, current financial status and that sort of resentment that he has towards his boss at, at having to work this job due to him squandering and, and gambling away his uh, life savings and his uh, wealth as well as spending it on uh, ladies of the night in this uh, establishment that is the Love Ranch. Didn't just want to go with okay. cooking meth in an RV, huh? <laughs> well, see, the RV here is what gives him the idea for the RV later on. But that's too on the nose, uh, Eric. Come on. Correct. Also, I've used that before. <laughs> I had to find one I hadn't used before. <laughs> Gets harder and harder with every Cranston connection. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> God. Dude, do you know how hard it is to find anything about this character, by the way? It, it, it You can't. <laughs> uh, what is the character's name? And what are ja- they from, David? James Petit from the Love Ranch. I said it. Oh, yeah, yeah, you did. You're right. Yeah. Have I ever seen that movie? Nope. <laughs> Am I right? Maybe. <laughs> 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 I think a lot of people haven't seen it, so we'll never know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Watch one of our listeners is like, oh, yeah, that movie was dope. That's my favorite movie. Be like, fuck. <laughs> uh... 
Okay, well, that just leaves David's guessing game. <laughs> Which, for this episode, uh, you had a lot of uh, partially correct things. Uh, <laughs> what a good way to start. You, you were correct that the boys would go to Burning Man, though you were... You didn't guess that the entire family would be going along with them. <laughs> yeah, I did not guess that at all. I would not. I did not see that coming. Uh, and you were uh, like going back and forth on whether they would take an RV and go glamping, or if they would do the like tent and yurt thing. I settled on the glamping thing, didn't I? Nope, you settled on the like they go the full hippie path and they sleep in like other people's tents, which. Uh, I did give you some credit for, because Malcolm did that for one night at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, you also uh, just sort of generically said that it would center on their having, like, wacky experiences at Burning Man. Would be like most of the episode. Uh, which is true. So I gave you an 80% on this one. Pretty good start. Hell yeah. And what do you think happens next week... On health insurance. So, what's like a very... Because do I think it's going to affect... Is it Lois or Hal? Do I think that'll determine... I think it's going to be a Hal-based. So, I'll bet that they raise the rates or lower the coverage on uh, his health insurance at work. Which means... it, Which then leads to his, like, sudden panicking... Um, and overreactions, and so I think we're going to get a very, like, slapsticky, comical Hal episode of him trying to, like, constantly keep the boys from getting hurt as they do their daily routine and stuff, which I think will probably, almost inevitably, I don't think he's actually going to get them hurt, but I feel like his, like, attempt to keep them from going to the hospital or the doctor because he's freaking out over how much they'll have to pay now will actually inevitably like put them like almost in the the situation where they have to go okay uh is there any arbitrary questions you would like to ask eric <laughs> yeah arbitrary indeed. will francis show up and what color shoes will he be wearing <laughs> listen i don't care about his shoes okay and your Francis will not be showing up in that episode. Absolutely not. If he does show up, will he be wearing a lanyard? <laughs> no. Alright. Your Francis is a monster. No, but legitimately, do you think the Francis is gonna be there? Will he make his first appearance for the season? No. There you go. Okay. I don't know why I'm so confident in that, but no. Well, that wraps this episode up. Uh, Eric, why don't you remind people where they can find more of you? Oh, thank you very much. At File Under Entertainment Podcast and at The Evil Mark Show. And as always, thank you for listening. Uh, thanks and credit to Jacob Newfeld, who does our intro and outro music. And if you would like to get into touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast. And if you enjoy the banter back and forth here and want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we stream video games, interact with everybody, and in general, have a good time. And as always, remember that life is unfair. So is Jake. <laughs>